Tonight is September 30th, 2015. The title of tonight's sermon is Stir Up and Step Up. Stir Up and Step Up. If you'll turn to John chapter 5. Just a quick update from our Suriname team. I believe tonight they're having house meetings, is that right? House meetings tonight, and then they're going into the jungle tomorrow. So um, if you have volunteered to be a part of the prayer team, let me encourage you, remind you of that. Uh, if you've been doing great, please continue. If you haven't, please start doing great. Stir it up inside of you. Stir and pray, and let's, uh, let's see what God will do um, there in their midst. So, John chapter 5. You all okay tonight? Yeah. Everybody's okay? Okay, just checking. Just got to check these things sometimes. John chapter 5 and verse 1. Apparently, Kim's the only one that's there, so... Uh, <laughs> getting there. <laughs> Hang on. Got to get everything situated here. John, John chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. We're familiar with this story, right? I am 40 years old. For basically the span of my lifetime, that's a long time, to be laying there beside this pool. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in the condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? <laughs> I love that question. I love how Jesus begins to stir us up. He's waiting, obviously, for the pool to get stirred up. And for 38 years, he's laying there. And Jesus asked the most obvious, the seemingly most obvious question. But it's not as if Jesus wasn't perceiving what was going on. It's not like he wasn't perceiving what the man actually needed. He was trying to figure out if this guy actually wanted to be healed. Do you, do you actually want to be healed? Because you've been here for a really long time. You've been, you've been in the same state for a really long time. So it makes me think, perhaps you like where you are. These are not things that Jesus has said, right? I'm obviously adding my own personal involvement with this scripture. This is what I was thinking. What would I be saying to the person who'd been laying there for 38 years? And you go, um, have you just become um, a perpetual patient here? Have, have you allowed your identity to be wrapped up in what you don't have, what you lack, and after a while you kind of like the fact that you don't have it because now you have an excuse not to do anything else? Well, I mean, I'm, I can't, <laughs> you know, I mean, I have this, clearly I have a problem, so I can't go and do anything else. Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to get well? I love the way my Savior just asks a question and gets to the heart of the matter. Listen to the reply. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Um, I've had the privilege of um, talking to a lot of people this week. Just lots of phone calls. It seems like every time I get in the car... However the length of that drive is seems to be the length of the conversation. It's been so much fun. Like literally I start when I sit down and they hear the dinging and then I stop and I'm where I need to be. It's, it's, been, it's been fantastic. And this idea, actually this kind of conversation has been basically replayed just about every day in my life. Kind of going, do you actually want to get better? Well, let me give you the list of reasons why I can't get better. I haven't gotten better yet. You see, I don't have anyone to help me. It's someone else's fault. And then even when I do try, you don't understand how sad it is. Even when I do try, someone else beats me to it. <laughs> you know, so I love the response. I love the response here. Then Jesus said to him, get up. <laughs> we obviously can't tell the vocal inflection from Scripture, right? Get up. I mean, just, I don't even have time to mess with this. Just get up. Pick up your mat and walk. <laughs> At once the man was cured. 
he picked up his mat and walked. It's like after 38 years, literally, in three and a half seconds, done. Bam. Oh, I was supposed to get up. My bad. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Uh, Let me encourage you tonight. There may be some places in our lives where we've let stay stagnant and dormant for far too long. Maybe not 38 years, but maybe we've just let these things, we've allowed ourselves to be an invalid. You know, that's an interesting word, just in the English. It's not even going to any other language. Invalid. You're trying to invalidate yourself and your own walk because of these excuses that we have. And Jesus just says, just get up. I don't care about all that. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried where you come from. I'm not worried what you look like. I'm not worried what defaults, um, deficiencies that you think you have. Just get up. Oh, okay. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Everybody say Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Now, they completely ignored the fact that he just got up. (laughs) They completely ignored the fact that the guy who like 30 seconds before couldn't walk is now walking. What they looked at was, uh, shame, shame, you're about to break a rule. Because it was on the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. I hope that we never get to the point where we see God move and worry about the format in which somebody did it. I hope that we don't see God miraculously change somebody's life and like, well, you know, they're about to break another rule though. He said to the man, um, but he replied, verse 11, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who healed, who, uh, the man who was healed had no idea who it was. That's my favorite part. Like, he didn't even know who Jesus was. But he listened to him and responded because healing flowed into him. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. That's kind of a neat thing. Why, why did he do it? What was he? This is, this is where my brain goes when I read. I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. He healed the man and went... Right? Apparently, I'm interested in a lot of noises tonight, so y'all just going to have to fill in the English words that would go along with that. Right, exactly. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, verse 14, Later, Jesus found him at the temple. Isn't that great? Jesus, just because he slipped into the crowd, didn't mean he was done with our friend. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something else or something worse may happen to you. Whoa. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Um, I figured it out because <laughs> he came back and like slapped me in the face. You know? So he's going along. We, we look at this story and it's something that's very familiar to us. Uh, if you're in the class, you know that we, or have been in the class that we have, our Acts class, you know that we try to look at things and have um, the illusion of the first time. If you would have been hearing or seeing this story the very first time, without, any, without ever having heard it before, how would you engage in this scripture? You see that Jesus comes along and literally just speaks to someone and says, it's time for me to stir you on the inside. You're waiting for a stirring on the outside. I'm waiting for the pool to be stirred because I can see that. And when that happens, I can enter in and hopefully be healed. But oh yeah, I don't have somebody to help me. And oh yeah, when I decide to move on my own, I can't get in there because I'm too slow. After 38 years, don't you just, wouldn't you just scoot closer to it? Wouldn't you just be like right on the edge? And if it did, you go, bloop. That's just my, sorry. Again, a sound, right? <laughs> For those of you, right? So, like, wouldn't you have, over 38 years, couldn't you have even figured out something strategic? You have a whole year till the next time it comes along. Can't you just build a barrier and you be the only one inside the barrier so that you can get in the water? So clearly, it was not an actual ability issue. Clearly, it was not something that he could or could not have done, but that was the excuse that left him there for 38 years. But Jesus realized not only is there a healing coming, 
Not only was there a stirring coming, but the stirring didn't just stop with the physical healing. It got all the way to him getting to the heart of the matter. It took some verses in there for us to see Jesus get to the heart of the matter and say, hey man, by the way, you need to stop sinning. You think being an invalid for 38 years is bad? Something worse may happen to you. Oh. Jesus was getting at the heart of this man that allowed himself to not be stirred for 38 years. He allowed himself to stay where he was on this Sabbath day. Let's keep reading in verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to what? To kill Him. He healed a man who had been invalid for 38 years, and because He picked the wrong day according to their tradition, according to their interpretation of it, obviously Jesus didn't (laughs) break the law. Obviously Jesus understood it. They literally not only persecuted him, but tried to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. If that was more true about me and my own life, I think things would probably be better. I can't do anything. I'm reminded of that when I read this scripture. Jesus says, hey, the son can't do anything by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. You're mad at me for healing a guy? There's a whole lot more that can go on here. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Um, He's kind of saying, hey, fellas, we got something going on here, and I'm going to be the judge. The Father has obviously a place in judge because He has delineated that to be my role. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. What a great phrase. He's crossed over. He's been redeemed. It's almost as if he went through, went from the capture through the Red Sea and has crossed from death into life into what God has for him. Um, Let's turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 And we're going to start in verse 9, I think. Let's start in verse 1. It's fun. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, I love the fact, like all these times on the Sabbath, I mean, if you think about it, So they're walking through a field. His disciples were hungry and began to eat when the Pharisees saw this. (laughs) I spy with my little eye. How much are these guys looking to try to catch Jesus doing what they perceive to be wrong? Their eyes are upon Him, but not in a way where our eyes would be upon Him. Their eyes are upon Him in a critical way. Do you know people that look at you like that? I, I actually hope you do. I actually hope that that, you've been blessed enough where people look at you and be like, man, I would love to trip up Alex. Because he's just something, there's something different about him. Have you ever had somebody poke you because they wanted you to do wrong? They wanted you to fail? They were secretly wishing that you wouldn't fail, but they were trying to see if they can get you to fail. Um, When I was out of high school, um, I was an actor. I did some things at our local, at the Baton Rouge Little Theater. Come on, Baton Rouge Little Theater. BRLT. What, what? Right? So we would go, and that was one of the most interesting experiences that I had. I had done some things in our high school. I had some, you know, I enjoyed being theatrical. But I got to do this in a, in a citywide level. And 
doesn't matter what, we, what, what the play was, but we were doing it, and literally people would try to... Um, they would try to sabotage me in the middle of a scene like with a paying audience. So we had performances and people were paying and they would literally try to do different things to me because they knew that there was something different. I am, I'm a young guy at this point. They would literally put um, perverted pictures. There would be a high school scene so I'm supposed to go up to a locker and open it. And they would intentionally put perverted pictures in the locker. So somehow the Lord allowed me and I started to pick it up and I'm like, hey, there are pictures in there, you know? So I just, I would kind of close it again. I'd just close it and turn around and talk. When they realized they couldn't get me because now I kind of know where to look and I kind of figured out, they would literally stand off to the, in the wings of the theater. I'm on stage. There are hundreds of people paying. We're doing our little shindig, our little song and dance. And they're literally on the side, trying, like holding up magazines to try to get me to look, to try to get me to do things. And you're like, even as a young man, I was like, you guys are ridiculous. It's almost as if they were pharisaical in their own heart. And what they, wa- they secretly wanted me to, say, to not fail, but they were trying to set me up to fail. I think they needed to see somebody who just, no, I mean, seriously, man, I'm not going to do that. Nope, I'm not going to talk that way. I'm not going to act that way. I'm just not going to do it. I had lines that I was supposed to say that were inappropriate and I would, I would just change them. <laughs> just change them. The director was like, hey, I'm not going to do it. You can fire me if you want. I mean, it's okay. I'll leave now. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> As a young man talking to a, a, an adult. They had their eyes on Jesus. They were looking for, they were trying to catch him. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple desecrate the day, and yet are innocent? (laughs) You're not supposed to do any work. What do the priests do all day? Well, they work. Oh. Or... um, Verse 6, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. You're talking to the very creator of the universe, and you're trying to catch him on technicalities. You're missing the point there, fellas. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse the Jews, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you, uh, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He gets right at the heart of the issue. Trying to catch him on a technicality, he just says, Of course it's right to do good doesn't directly answer what they're saying, but he answers the core of the question. Um, verse 13, Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and what? Plotted how they might kill him. <laughs> He's healing people, and they are so mad they literally want to kill him. This is, this is some of what drove these, these religious leaders to kill him is because he was healing He was doing good work. Turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 and verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman who was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Ugh. 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Hmm. How's your view of the world then, right? You're looking at your feet. You're looking at... You're, you're literally downcast in every sense of that word all day, every day for almost two decades. When Jesus saw her, He called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. 
Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Well, I'm sure she would, right? <laughs> Glory! Indignant. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. <laughs> you did it wrong. Seriously. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, who's kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. Um, let me ask you how your heart is in these things. Do you rejoice when people are set free? Amen. Because if we ever get to the point where we're upset at someone getting set free, if we're upset in any way at someone getting blessed and instead of, oh, it should have been me, then perhaps we're not emulating the right people here. Perhaps we're, we're getting that pharisaical thought process on us. Turn one, uh, one chapter over to Luke 14. So the first two instances when Jesus heals on the Sabbath, they literally want to kill him. In this case, they're so humiliated that they fall silent. Uh, Luke 14, verse 1, says this. On one Sabbath, he stayed busy on the Sabbath, didn't he? One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Of course he was. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. I didn't honestly know what dropsy was. I didn't know if he was clumsy, so he dropsied stuff. <laughs> You know, I was like, I don't quite know. David just went, mm. no. I got the disapproval nod from David there. Dropsy. It's a, it's a condition or excessive accumulation of certain types of fluid in the body and specifically in the face take place. Okay? So dropsy. I, you were all probably knew that and I had to go look it up. So, um, Verse 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law. Okay, so this is kind of a fun one. They're always trying to ask him to catch him. And he says, hey, so guys, since you're all here to catch me anyway, since you're all going to get mad at me anyway, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Well, if you're not going to answer, well, then I'm just going to go ahead and heal this guy. Because by this point... <laughs> At this point, he keeps healing him, and they get mad, or they get silent, or they whatever, and he's like, well, look, we all know where this is going, because I'm going to heal the guy anyway. <laughs> Just want to see where you guys are standing. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. Um, it's amazing that when you read throughout the New Testament, when you see Jesus interact with anyone, I think that Jesus is always trying to stir people. <laughs> I think they're coming to Him and whatever the instance is, I, the way I, that I used to say it was it would look like almost like He's having a different conversation. Jesus, we're out of wine. My time has not yet come. <laughs> what? <laughs> that doesn't answer what I just asked. Has Jesus ever answered you with something? Like if you're calling out for God... And you're like, Lord, I need to know this. And he directs you. It feels like he almost answers you with something else. Or he asks you a question. And you're like, wait, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was trying to get this answer. And he's like, but that's not the answer that you need. That's the answer you think you need. Lord, help me on this. No, 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 no. Let's get to the heart of the matter. What's happening is this is shielding you from something. And so I'm just going to kind of cut to the chase. Jesus, we're out of wine. My time has not yet come, which sounds like a no. And then he goes and turns water into wine. You're like, wait a minute. Am, am, I, am I in crazy land here? It feels like there's a... But it's because he's always trying to stir our hearts. He's trying to move us. He does not want us to stay stagnant. He wants, us, he wants to stir something within us. He wants to move us in a way that causes us to go forward in his will. He wants to not let us sit still. We can be content, but there's this stirring that's going on. Guys, i got to admit, there's a stirring inside of me right now. There's something that's going on. I don't mean today. 
I mean like in this season, and I mean for our church. Can I tell you how much I love my church? Can I tell you how much I love this church? I try to say it every service, by the way. If you haven't noticed, there are some things that we try to say every service. I'm going to try to say every service how much I love my church. I love my church because I've been in other places. And I've been to places where I wanted to invite people to my church because things were beautiful and lovely and smooth. I have a desperation to invite people to my church because I believe they can actually come and get changed by a living God. I believe that if you got a busted up marriage, you can come to my church and it'll get fixed. I believe that my church, and, and I referenced this on Sunday, I believe that my church, I believe that our church, is something that, um, that we get to offer people the red or the blue pill all the time. Do you want to actually go and see what this thing is all about or do you just want to go back to sleep and feel like you're doing okay? You may not like everything that's over here because it's true and it's raw and it takes you out of this little fantasy world and you may realize that you are significantly lacking in things. But it's truth and it's life. You can go back to sleep. Actually, there are a lot of people who will come and they kind of um, play around with the red pill and they kind of look at it and they take it in their hand. You're like, take the pill, take the pill, man. And they go, mm, I think I'm going to take the blue. And they don't ever end up back here, do they? That's not what I want for them. I'm not reveling in the fact that they decide the blue pill. I'm saying I'm glad that I have a church that has, we're like, there's a red pill, bro. There's something more to your walk that you can choose, and it's not religion. You're not going to find it unless you get stirred. If you're going to try to do all this and lay by the pool and say, I'm the one that's close to the pool, you might invalidate your own walk with the Lord. So perhaps we should go deeper, and we should allow the Lord to stir us in the right kind of ways. Some of us are very passionate people. We're naturally wired to be very passionate. Some of us are very controlled and calm. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like what Jesus said to the man who'd been there for 30 years. Just get up. He didn't ask him how he was wired. He didn't ask him anything other than, do you want to get well or not? <laughs> do you want to take the red pill or the blue pill? Like, let's go with this. However you're wired, however you're made, I'm going to presume that that's part of what the body of Christ needs. That's what I'm going to presume. And I'm going to presume that the best thing for all of us is when each of us, when you and I are completely stirred by the things of God. If you can go through your day and not be stirred by the Spirit, perhaps you're not having the right kind of day. Perhaps if you're going through your life and you're not even stirring up opposition. I'll take stirring up opposition. Let's do it. You're mad at me? Great. You want to catch me doing it wrong? Great. At least we're stirring something up. Like my Starbucks example from last week. Man, that's awesome. That's an awesome day. We're stirring up all kind of craziness. I love it. I'd rather have that than nothing. I'd rather have that than be lulled to sleep. Um, uh, Turn to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. Amen. Amen. This is the story, the beginning of the story of Samson. Just for time's sake, we're going to hit some verses because I want to get down to the end of this chapter. And you guys are well acquainted with this story. So starting in verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Wow. A man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless. Yes, it is true. But you are going to conceive and have a son. We know, we know how this Take a look in verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. 
Folks, don't ever think that we are overly... God definitely... I've heard it said this way, God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies those He calls. Let's not ever, even in a place like this where training is, we are raising up ministers, we are raising up people who love the Word. Give me some of our children and we'll go storm the gates of hell. Like, like I love my church. In our personal walk with the Lord, Let's not ever forget to keep going back to the Lord and say, Lord, would you continue to show us, show us how to raise our kids? Would you show us how to do this? Would you not let us get complacent in just thinking that we know things? Um, isn't it the worst thing in the world when someone doesn't understand something about themselves? They have a blind spot. They're like, well, I don't ever do this. And everybody around them is like, are you kidding me? Like you did that two minutes ago. As a matter of fact, you just did it just then. Like you just did it. I'm, I'm, I never get angry. I was like, you're the angriest dude I know. Right? Or whatever it is. Like, There's a significant blind spot in their own perception. We don't want to be that way. We have a church that we're going to love each other enough to go, hey, so perhaps here's some scripture that you should chew on. <laughs> right? Here's something that you might want to think about. Verse 12, so Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? Love that. Let's, let's skip on down. Um, oh, there's so many good things. First, let's just skip all the way down to 24, though. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Manah Dan, between Zorah and Eshtol. The word stirring there is for... For those of you uh, who'd like to look it up later, it's in the Old Testament, number 6470 in the Strongs. <coughs> Paum, P-A apostrophe A-M. The word means to impel. Impel, not impale, sorry. <laughs> Got to work on my accent sometimes. Impale. Impel or agitate. To move or to trouble. To impel, I impel you. I forcefully encourage you. I impel you. I agitate to move or to trouble. The stirring here of the Lord sometimes looks like it's just trouble. Sometimes it looks like you get agitated because He's trying to stir you to not be where you are and to move you where you need to go. Um, I've, I've had that feeling in my life before going, Lord, we, are, we want to be where we are and we're going to be here for the rest of our life. And then we started getting agitated. God started stirring us in certain ways. For us to move from Austin to here, there was a stirring and an agitation and, and something that was going on that went, Lord, we're willing to do anything You want and apparently You want us to go somewhere else. You want us to move on. You want us to be engaged in something different than what we're doing now. There's trouble that's in our life, but it's not intended to harm us. It's actually intended us to just stir us. The job that we're on that we might not be completely satisfied may be absolutely what we need because God is trying to stir us. And instead of just being and walking around in frustration, perhaps He's trying to get us to call out to Him. Perhaps there's something else that we need to ask Him about so that He can reveal, reveal His will to our lives. Perhaps He's working things out in us that we just don't like, and so it's rough, but we have to embrace this this stirring, this agitation that He's got in our heart because it's for our good. Because we have to have it. At least you're feeling something, right? At least there's some type of motion. Now we've got to obviously make sure that this is not rooted in... I'm, I'm presuming that we're not having things rooted in sin. If you're sinning, stop it. Get up, take your mat, and move on. For real. But what we're talking about here is something that is God-driven and we may not fully grasp it yet. When, when do you get the revelation? I don't know, because sometimes God has to talk to me a lot and then in a moment there's clarity. It's the fuzzy picture on the screen that starts getting more and more clarity and then finally it's clear. It's the, it's the photographer's lens that is completely out of focus until you get it just right and you're like, oh, now I see it. God's been, it's been right there in front of my face the whole time and I haven't been able to see it until now. Oh! At that point, do you worry about how long you haven't been able to see it? Because now you're enjoying seeing it. 
I was terrible at those, in the newspaper, those, um, what are those called? The, all the colors, and you have to look at it, and there's some 3D image that pops up. Can never do that. Christy's like, she's awesome, because she'll just, like, I can show it to her across the room, and she's like, oh, it's this. I don't get it. I sit there for 10 minutes, cannot get it. One eye, two eye, I'm like, I just can't do it. It's fun for her because she's like, oh, I like those. I'm like, I hate them because I can't ever see them. I can't see what's going on. In your, in our walk with the Lord like that sometimes? Somebody else can walk up to you and be like, brother, it's just this. And you're like, ah, I can't see it. You can see it, but I can't see it. Don't run away from the stirring. Run to the stirring. God, what are you doing? I'm a little agitated. Huh. Why am I agitated? Am I being fleshly? Okay, well then that's not the right time. That's not the Lord stirring. That's you just being fleshly. But Lord, are, are you stirring me? I want you to stir me, Lord. I don't want to stay stagnant. I want it to be like this where you looked at Samson and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. God began to agitate him and fire him up about the injustices that were in his life. You know why? Because he was supposed to be a deliverer for these people. He was supposed to combat them. You can't be a combatant. You can't be a warrior and be, huh, chillaxed all the time. <laughs> you got to have some fire in you. What is the fire in you? What is God putting? Is he putting a fire within you to do something? Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1. That word that we saw when the Spirit of the Lord stirred Samson, same word when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he becomes agitated. He becomes stirred and has to go find someone to help him understand. That word stirred there is the same word that Pharaoh, when he had a dream from the Lord and had to go find someone. Huh. Interesting. These ungodly, worldly rulers, when God starts moving on them, they're just agitated. They're, they, can't, they don't know what to do with it. It becomes less of a stirring and more of an agitation in them until the man of God comes in and brings clarity, brings an understanding to what God is doing. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, let's start in verse 3. It says this, I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am now, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Um, I remember memorizing this scripture when I was, I don't know, around 9 or 10. My parents, my dad encouraged me to, well, he made me memorize it. <laughs> it was more than encouragement. Um, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the way that I, another version was, was to stir up the gift that's within you. To stir it up, to let this this be stirred up and moved within you so that it doesn't become stagnant. The words here is in the New Testament is number 329 is the word for fan into flame here. Ano zopereo. And just listen to this. I'm just going to read it and I love it. The first part of it, the prefix on this is a repetition of intensity. The next part of the word actually means Beast as in animal. And then the last part of the word is P-U-R, pur, which means fire. So the one word that they wrote out as fan into flame here is to re re repetitiously and intensely create a beastly fire. <laughs> a beastly fire. This passion. Let God... Fan into flame. What are you on fire about? Is it, are you on fire on your walk with the Lord? Are you really like this intense 
beastly fire. Is every area in your life, are you allowing God to stir you in every area? Are you allowing Him to fan into flame? What's the implication there? What, what, with, a, with a fire, you have to keep it going. You have to stoke it. I don't know if you've ever been back behind the Stevens house when they are creating a fire. It is the most violent, dangerous thing ever. Well, we're going to put a, <laughs> we make fire, right? There are fans and blowers and lots of, and it's just stoking things up and embers are going all over the neighborhood. And I'm like, oh Lord, please. Do not let anything be set on fire except for the fire, right? When you do the fire right, you should be worried about it getting contagious and getting everywhere. When your heart is fanned in the flame properly, it should be pouring out to everyone around you. It should look like that. That's exactly what it's supposed to look like, that you fan it in the flame, a big roaring bonfire lit up because of God at work in your life. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. He's given us all three. You've got power. You've got everything you need for life and godliness. You can go out and you can lay hands on people. You can do this. This church is strong not only because of excellent leadership. This church is strong because we believe that you can go out and be the ministers that God has called you to be. That our job is to equip you to do the work of the body. That's what you're supposed to be doing. It's not a select few. It's all of us. How strong does our church get if everyone in this room starts has fanned into flame what God has called us to do? How much better are we as a church if you were as red hot as you've ever been? Doesn't that help us? Doesn't that make our church better? Pastor Eric and Nick are in Suriname right now. We should be fervently praying for them. But we should not be waiting until they get back to do what God has called us to do. Do you come to church and are you waiting on, are you waiting on someone else to prophesy? Are, are you waiting on someone else to go pray for somebody? If you are, get up, get your mat, and let's go do this. Fan in the flame what God has called us to do. We are the body. This is, this is us. <laughs> Am I speaking against Pastor Eric? Of course not. I'm saying we all, if you're not careful, you can kind of wait for somebody who's a strong leader like that to do something and be bold. And you're like, yeah, I'll follow behind that. Why aren't you blazing the trail? Who are you blazing a trail for? Who are you allowing the fire to consume you so much that people are like, isn't that one of our T-shirts that we've done? The, the man on fire T-shirt? We set ourselves on fire what? And let others watch us burn. We want to be so on fire that people are like, God, Mandy, I, there's something that's so incredibly different about you. Talk to me about this. Why, why is this this way, Andrew? Why is it? Because we're on fire. Because we're allowing God to stir us. Um, turn to Hebrews chapter, 29, uh, chapter 12, verse 29. Chapter 29. Good luck finding that. Hebrews 12, <laughs> verse 29. Let's go to verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. I hope that we're in the habit of being thankful. The reason that I say and I try to intentionally say at every service how much I love my church, the reason I try to say all the time how much I love you guys is because I'm genuinely thankful. I love being here. I would be here, we got here as quick as God would let us get here. I'll be happy to wash the floors if that's all, if that's my job here, I'll be glad to do that because I'm so thankful I'm so thankful. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably. You can't worship God acceptably unless there's some thankfulness in your heart. Amen. Unless you're overwhelmed and going, God, I, we don't deserve, I don't deserve anything good from you, and yet you poured out on me so lavishly I can't contain it. Amen. You've put me around 
real brothers and real sisters who actually love you. I'm motivated by them to try to, to make sure that I don't slip in my calling because they're counting on it. Thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is what? He's a consuming fire. Lord, would you set our lives on fire so that other people can watch us burn? Lord, where we've allowed ourselves to be lulled into a rhythm, into a pattern. Um, when I was a music teacher, there are some people who are very artistic. I was never particularly artistic. My wife is much more artistic than I am. I kind of came at music from a mathematical side. You can kind of come at music either way. You can be totally artsy-fartsy. That was not me. I taught students who were artsy-fartsy, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And I taught students who were more like me and very cerebral about it. This rhythm, I could give you the mathematical equation for that rhythm. Like I was like, hmm, it's this percentage of a beat. I understand now. Thank you. <laughs> it was, I'm telling you. It really was. And I got good enough where I could like, okay, I know that to be musically expressive, I have to increase in volume here. I will now increase in volume. Versus some of the kids that taught that were just... where it was great. I was like, oh my God, that's beautiful. I would have had to write all that out. <laughs> now, how shall I be emotive here? <laughs> you know? Kind of weird, right? You're going to be emotive, but I had to like really think through it. <laughs> try different ways, try different versions. You know, I, I'm, I'm just telling you that, just for real, y'all. Uh, but what, one thing that I was pretty good at was being able to take a piece of music that I had never seen and sit down and just read it. Just play it from the beginning. Start and get all the way through it with minor to no errors. But the way that I did that was that I would start seeing, I didn't look at each note. I wasn't calculating each note. The better I got, the more I could look at entire patterns of music and go, oh, that's a certain type of scale there. Oh, maybe with one alteration. So I looked at all of those notes and went, that's this scale. When I get to that note, I change it. So I saw two things, not 17 things. And then when I saw this, I went, oh, that reminds me of this. Oh, I've played that a thousand times before, even though I've never played this song before. And I started seeing information in kind of chunks. Right? Like you do when you read at first. When you're reading, you read a letter. T, the, d, g, dog. Right? After a while, you get, sorry. You can tell what we're working on in our house, right? <laughs> Teaching Anna to read. Okay. The, the more you do these things, the, the bigger chunks of information you start being able to take in. The more you start doing the things of the Lord, the more you start moving in the things of the Lord, you can start recognizing the patterns of what He's doing. You can realize that at the beginning of a stirring, you go, oh, I think I know where this is going. Ah, He's moving my heart. I won't get as frustrated. I won't let it take me so long to realize that it's God that's moving versus me just being frustrated. Oh, he's moving in me again. I know what that's like. Maybe there's going to be a surprise in here, but I can easily navigate the surprise if I understand these bigger and bigger and bigger chunks of what he's doing. But you know how I do that? It's because I allow him to stir me enough and I allow his consuming fire to be in my life enough that I start going... Oh, I really like this. Talking to a friend who's um, um, having to deal with a job situation in his life. And at this point in my life, I'm like, bro, this is an easy decision. Just do this. Just take your mat and go. But he's not where he can see I've navigated through that several times in my life now with a wife and kids. I know what it feels like. And I'm like, eh, you can ignore all that and just look at this. But the truth is that he hasn't been there. So my job right now is just to encourage him, you go hear from the Lord. Hey, stop what you're doing. Quit trying to figure all this out in such a worldly way. You go hear from the Lord and the Lord will sh show you the right steps. What I'm saying is, why don't you go let God stir your spirit and you can figure out the job part pretty easy if you know his will for your life. Are you frustrated in your job? We were at a point a few years ago before we moved to Texas, to Austin, where... Um, Christy and I were hoping that I would get a job offer to go to Austin. 
So this is January of 2010. We were hoping to get a job offer. We had gone and visited. We thought that it was the Lord, and we just waited. I didn't get a job offer to that place until April 25th. Okay? So January, we're like, ah, 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 is this the Lord? Lord, we really do whatever your will is. Ah. So we went through, and we were having trouble going, like, do we sign our kids up for soccer? Well, we might not be here. Well, how do we do this? We worried ourselves into almost physical sickness because we were trying to live in between spaces. We were trying to live in two places in our mind and in our hearts at once. We want to be there, but we're here. But we really do want to be there, but maybe it's God's will, but maybe it's not. Until one day, about six weeks into this process, I just went, wait. God stirred me in a way and I went, I'm looking at this completely wrong. There's no job offer. I am creating tension in my life because of what I have now and kind of something else that's just a vapor right now. How about we just live where God put us and allowed Him to move on us and if they ever offer, then we'll deal with that at that point. How about I be where I am and let His stirring stir me here because I'm not there. If He wants me there, then I'll go there. And I had my foot, one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat, and I was about to get, we were about to get dumped until God just said, would you stop doing that? Be where you are. What a silly statement, right? Let me encourage you. Be where you are. If you're here, then be here. If God has you at the job you're at, be at the job that you're at. When He needs to move you, He will tell you. And at that point, move. Brilliant, right? I'm just brilliant. Thank you, Captain Obvious. I'm telling you, I feel like some, at least a couple of people in this room needed to hear that because I wasn't planning on that. Just be where you are. If the next phase, if the God of all creation can't cause the next phase to get here when you're just seeking His will, you're probably in the wrong game anyway. This probably isn't going to work out. Of course He's going to meet you where you are. Allow Him to stir you in the right way. Don't let the stirring cause you to get um, happy feet. You know, kids that can't quite... like ah, Happy feet. Or anxious feet where you are now. Because what happens? Then you're not living here, nor are you living there. You're just in something else that's not really God's plan for you. When He moves you, then you go. We totally settled it, God. We are happy where we are. You have placed us here. We will thrive where we are planted. We're going to go forward. We're going to do all that we can for you because you put us right here. And we're going to trust you that at the right time, if we need to move, you'll just make it clear. Because I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't have every question. They can't in soccer. Do we sign them up for school? Because we may not be here in the fall. But what if we are? But what if we're not? But what if we... Oh my gosh. It's It's exhausting for me to talk about it. Much less to live it. Some of you guys are being exhausted because you're not processing what God is doing in your heart, right? Stop it. Just be where you are. Our God is a consuming fire. Give yourself fully to Him, and He will ordain your steps. The steps of the righteous are ordered by God. The reason that we live in two places is because we're fearful that God won't accomplish what He's supposed to accomplish in our life. It's a fear-based thing, not a faith-based thing. Amen? Does that make sense? Enough of that excursion. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Verse 49. I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it's completed. I think, <laughs> I think that this shows, hey, there's, there is a tug sometimes. But be where you are. 
just out of curiosity, how many of you ever have tried to live in between two places? Spiritually, physically? How many people are there right now? You're trying to live in between two places. Amen. God wants to bring you so much comfort in this. I'm trying to be sensitive to what God's doing because I feel like he's working on some hearts with that point right there. God's come to bring fire. Let him consume you right here. If you're frustrated with your job, allow it to be a stirring and not just a frustration. Seek his face more. Don't seek to run. Don't seek to get happy feet. Seek to stay and find out what his will is. Seek to seek his face. <laughs> Turn to Matthew chapter 3. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This is another passage that I think about my church on, and it makes me love us more. It makes me love you guys more. This church understands, we are so glad that you say that you're sorry, but we want you to keep, we want you to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. We believe you. And we're going to wait to see the fruit as well. I love that. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Look at this next phrase. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's going to agitate you. He's going to let you fan in the flame the gifts that He's put within you. Last scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. <laughs> Isn't that one of the biggest... That's one of my biggest fears sometimes. It's when I, I've shared this before. When I was teaching, I hated it when my students did better than I thought their work deserved. Our work will be shown for what it is. In this world, that is not the case. You can have a very, very perverted heart and find success. This world will allow you to do it the wrong way and come out with, quote-unquote, a right result. Our God is not like that. He will not allow godly fruit from a polluted root. I learned that from Mr. Charlie. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. I'd rather God reveal it with fire in my life now. If it needs to be burned up, that consuming fire will burn up the wrong stuff and it will ignite the right things. The gold, silver, costly stones, those things are refined through the fire. They're not destroyed. The wood, hay, and straw, completely consumed. Lord, would you come in and consume me in a different way? Lord, would you stir me? Would you allow us not to look at ourselves, Lord, and be satisfied because we compare ourselves with another? If, if I compare myself with Matt, huh, maybe I do good in some areas, maybe I'm completely embarrassed in other areas. 
but I want to compare myself with the Lord. Lord, I want to be so excited, so thankful, and so moved to keep going in your will. Where are you discouraged that you've allowed yourself to lay at the pool for way too long? Where is it that you haven't allowed yourself to be stirred? You ever been around stagnant water? Ugh. I'm from Louisiana. There's a lot of stagnant water. Ugh. It's nasty smelling. It produces all kind of other problems with mosquitoes and sickness. And you're like, oh. But when God causes a fresh spring to come forth in your life, goodness gracious. What do you need to be stirred in today? What has God been stirring you and you've been ignoring? You thought it was something else. You couldn't quite put your hand on it. You didn't notice it early in the pattern. But I'm telling you tonight, there's something that God is stirring in you that He wants you to pay attention to. He wants you to go, let me stir this up in you. Fan into flame. What are you going to do about what God is doing in your heart?